everyone, and welcome to the Ladies of Kamikaze podcast. This month, we are going to be talking about Netflix's new series, Shira, and also the original series from which it is based. So, I'm Valerie. This is Erin. Sarah. Savannah. Great. So, Savannah is joining us as one of our newer Ladies of Kamikaze. So, welcome aboard, Savannah. Thank you. I hope it's everything you hoped it would be, and hopefully not torture. So, welcome. <laughs> no promises. No promises. It's a dream come true. Oh. <laughs> and you're here for a good topic, because we are going to talk about She-Ra. We have the benefit of all of us having been around when the original series came out. So, to give us a little bit of background, the original She-Ra series premiered in 1985 and was done by a company called Filmation. She-Ra was actually created as... A show to sort of introduce girls to the Masters of the Universe franchise that starred He-Man. They created She-Ra as He-Man's slash Prince Adam's long-lost sister to connect the two series to each other, and occasionally there were crossovers. So ladies, let's talk about the original series first. I'm guessing that we all had the fortune to watch it in the 80s. So sort of, but actually I'm a little bit older than everyone else in this room. And so most of my experience with She-Ra was through my sister Kelly and my cousin Carrie. They were both huge fans and would often run around proclaiming their love of Grayskull and (laughs) hitting people accordingly. Nice. (laughs) So I mostly didn't really remember the original series. And then after watching the new one, my husband and I watched a couple of episodes of the original series. So it's fresh in my memory, but not from my childhood. (laughs) I don't know that I saw much or any of it in my childhood. My television watching as a child was a little strange. A lot of what I saw weekdays, especially when I was pretty young in the 80s, tended to be PBS stuff, and I got more cartoons on the weekends. Shiro just was not in there for whatever reason. I don't know what the schedule for it in syndication was, so I don't know if that's why, or it just didn't cross my path, but I don't remember having seen it until fairly recently, like the past 10-20 years. I had the opposite problem of Erin. I was born the year it came out. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. However, my cousins were very much into He-Man. So we kind of watched He-Man and She-Ra at the same time. So Mm -hmm. it was like, I grew up with them from a very young age. (laughs) Now see, for me, He-Man was really popular with the neighborhood kids. So it wasn't unusual to, like, so I lived, like, in an area where all the kids in the neighborhood would play together. There's, like, a cul-de-sac where we would all play, too. And the boys would be really into He-Man. So I actually remember that there was, like, this kind of, like, the girls were into She-Ra and the boys were into He-Man. And, like, it was kind of a big deal if you had the She-Ra action figure for the girls. I had a friend who actually had, like, her castle, and I remember being like, this is amazing! But I think because part of it was, is she was actually, like, one of the first action figures I remember that was female. That was part of somebody's collection that wasn't, like, a Barbie doll or something like that. To 
age myself because I don't care if anyone knows. I was born in 1980, so I was about five when it came out. My older sister watched it, I think, more than I did. I don't have a super consistent memory of watching it regularly, but I remember more playing with the toys, which proves that their marketing was effective because at the end of the day, the show was created pretty much to sell toys. Entirely to yeah. sell toys. <laughs> well, my cousins had Skull. Mm. which terrified me at night when we slept over. <laughs> but they also had, like, and a She-Ra. So they'd be like, here, Savannah, play with a She-Ra. Sweet! <laughs> I remember thinking that the Masters of the Universe slash He-Man toys were hideous and terrible. Well, they were. <laughs> so my cousin was also very into He-Man. In fact, the family cat was named Cringer. <laughs> wow! I love it. Uh, although said with the Massachusetts accent, so cringe. Mm. Um, if you recall, some of the villains were particularly gross. You know, you had Stinkor, the skunk yeah. guy who smelled like patchouli. All right. And then that Moss Man was yeah. also real gross and terrible and like flocked. Right. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't work well with a toy that needs to be handled constantly right. by children. Right. right. Now, the She-Ra characters had their own sort of hideousness, but were also super feminine. They're not as gross-looking, I believe, as I thought that the Masters of the Universe toys were, but there's still some questionable character designs in the original series that I remember (laughs) being like, hmm, her body's all covered up, but... Dang, she, she is, got, yeah, ooh, exactly. Ooh. She's got, she's got this perfect hourglass figure. Oh, wait, all girls in that world have perfect hourglass figure, unless you're some weird sort of troll or witch or something. Yes, if you were an old woman, you were allowed to be something else, but otherwise they were basically all running around fighting in bikinis yeah. with a little crystal nestled yes. in their chest. Well, speaking of the character design, the series was done by Filmation, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about animation in 1985. Mm-hmm. Right, so I hear Savannah's making a little noise. Sarah, as our animation expert, what can you tell us about where animation was in the 80s and if the animation in Shira was appropriate for the time or perhaps cheaper? Well, television animation in the 1980s was varied, as television animation in any decade is, but Filmation was always very much about doing it on the cheap. Not to say that they didn't have their appealing shows and their appealing moments, but you will notice a lot of reuse of stock scenes. You'll see Shira throw the same punch a lot. Some of it is rotoscoped, where they would have filmed live actors performing the scenes and then had their animators trace over shots of the live actors. So, no, She-Ra, the original series, is not the most lavishly animated cartoon. But I think there are still things that I like about it visually, and one thing that really carries over from the original cartoon to the new one is the backgrounds and the look of those. Like, especially the color palette. You see a lot of the same pink and purple and blue color palette to the backgrounds and a lot of the same design elements. Mm -hmm. So, let's fast forward now to 33 years later. (laughs) Oh, we're old. Yeah, who'd have thought? (laughs) 
that this year, actually, Netflix then premiered a brand new rebooted She-Ra for a modern day audience. And um, this time it was headed up by Noelle Stevenson. And those of us who are comic book fans will recognize her name from Nimona, which is great. And we're all nodding because we're fans of the book, as well as Lumberjanes. And she has a very distinct style that we're going to talk about a little bit more in a second when we talk about the new series. But also we see a little bit of a change too in that, whereas the original series was She-Ra Princess of Power. We are now talking about a series called She-Ra Princesses of Power. Multiple princesses. (laughs) So by this time of recording, we've all now completed the series. So let's dish, ladies. What do we think about the reboot? It actually has a plot. (laughs) I mean, let's start there. To the very beginning. The original series, I mean, did have a loose thread of a story, but it was really pretty episodic and it was meant to be kind of all neatly wrapped up, right? Right. At at the end of each episode. And the storytelling was not great. Um, But the new series, I think, offers a lot in the way of some really good character and world building. Mm -hmm. And so it's a lot more of an enjoyable watch, at least for an adult. I've actually heard about several kids who are maybe less excited by it, but Mm. as a grown-up watching a cartoon, it was great. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I will say I was impressed by how many of the elements from the original story they were actually able to develop. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if they went back and they were like, okay, so let's actually take the parts of the storyline that are somewhat interesting and make a real story out of them, right? Because in the original series, I do believe that She-Ra still starts on the side of the Horde. That's yes. correct. She does. Right? She's Force Captain Adora. Exactly. If I remember correctly, I don't feel like it was ever really much of a point of contention except for maybe the first story arc of She-Ra. Right? Right. That is also in part just the general development of children's television and animation for television. Back when the original Shiro was being made, it was very, very rare for an animated series to have a real continuing storyline, unless in some cases it was imported from Japan. Right. And in the case of Shira too, right, the first five episodes are actually a cut up movie. Right. That was it's the a, introduction it's of Shira. It's a Shira. five-parter. Yeah. So a lot of the things that you were talking about, Aaron, with it, like that it actually has an ongoing plot, that there's more character development, that is what's happened in the development of animation over the last couple of decades. One of the things I was thinking while watching it is that we're still definitely living in the house that Avatar built. Yes. Mm-hmm. That there are a lot of really obvious similarities to Avatar in it. But even more generally, I think that was a show that really did a lot to define the way that an animated series with an ongoing plot gets approached now. I think a big thing is, too, nowadays, adults are watching the shows with their kids. Back then it was like, all right, watch a show while I go do whatever I'm doing. Now we're sitting and watching it with kids. Yeah, and I think those are all your good points because what we're talking about here is framing a show that's 33 years old, right? We're not just talking about how the story has changed, we're talking about how society and the viewers mm-hmm. have yes. changed, right? 
The fact that this show that is 33 years old gets rebooted in the way that it has, Mm -hmm. and we'll talk about this more, how it's more progressive, how it's more inclusive, how it is better for a wider range of audiences. If you had asked me even like 10 years ago if I thought that they were ever going to make a She-Ra reboot that was anything other than terrible, (laughs) I would have laughed in your face. But the fact of the matter is, is that we, those of us in this room, are now the generation that is creating the content for Mm -hmm. the kids. And I personally find that really interesting and a lot of fun because we're all going to be, I'm assuming, we're all going to be in the old folks' home watching cartoons. They don't watch cartoons now in the old folks' home. Like (laughs) We're going to be playing D&D. Right now they're playing Bridge. And it's nothing wrong with that. It's just how society changes. And it's kind of like we're saying... Oh, She-Ra was an interesting show. What if it was actually great? Right. Let's redo it. <laughs> what if you explored the tensions that the original series kind of just left on the table? Yeah. So, right, so Adora being originally a member of the evil horde, you know, is something that it's more like a problem to overcome in the original series, right? That's, they have to convince her yeah. to be on the side of good. It doesn't really take that much. But what's interesting about the new series is, while it still doesn't take that much to do the initial convincing, it torments her for the yes. entirety of the first season, Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. Because she had to give up the only family she'd ever known. There's consequences to her actions that we didn't see before. Absolutely. That drew me in right off the bat, personally. And then, Valerie, you did mention the inclusivity. So earlier, you were talking about the original series and how all of the women had exactly the same body type mm-hmm. and the same outfit, essentially, in different colorways to show whatever their thing was. Yeah, right. which is partly what comes out of it being a concept that is designed as a toy line first. And just keep using that same yeah. toy yeah. mold and just yeah. same different mold. colors. Now, most of them are going to be the exact same mold, just recolored with a new head and a couple of other new parts. Right, maybe some new uh, accessories mm-hmm. to go with it. But in the new series, there are quite a range of yeah. body types, skin tones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Most of personalities. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, right, because in the original, they had personalities the way that, you know, there's like a single character trait that goes through. Mm -hmm. You're the happy one. You're the sad one. You like to say cheese or whatever. You're the whiny cat one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's another development in even how toy-based shows have evolved Mm -hmm. over time. The point back in the 80s for not just She-Ra, certainly, like pretty much any toy-based show you could find was get everything we're trying to sell in there. Get all of the characters, all of the accessories, all the vehicles, all the playsets. It all has to be in there Mm -hmm. at some point. And now there's more of an understanding that to have a show that works, you need to pare down and have more focus. So you have a lot more shows that will have a core group of characters Mm -hmm. that may be the main toys you're trying to sell. And the other characters and playsets and such, they'll appear occasionally or once in an episode, but it's more focused it's much tighter so you don't have as of yet as many characters as you did in the original she 
appearing in every single episode. So if we're talking about the characters, can I ask a question? Yeah. What characters did people really like in this new series? That's a great question. Who did you identify with? Scorpia. (laughs) Tell us more, Savannah. So I'm always into, like, the crazy, super optimistic characters. (laughs) Like, Pinkie Pie is my favorite. (laughs) My Little Pony. That will just explain the whole thing. But... The best part of Scorpia is she still has her personality, but she's in the horde. She's still this super positive person, but she's evil. Or at least fighting on the side of evil. Yeah. Oh no, she she enjoys herself thoroughly. (laughs) (laughs) But then you have her turning around and be like, do you remember the time we were on the boat? Look, I drew pictures of us all holding hands. I love her. <laughs> She's definitely my favorite. Although, there was one disappointment in my life. Watching the first trailer, I was like, Bo's gonna be a princess! And then he wasn't a princess, and I was sad. Well, we'll talk more about Bo in a minute, but I'm not here with What character you identify with are really... Glimmer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, none of you were surprised. Watching Glimmer, I literally said out loud to my husband after I watched it, if I had had this show when I was younger, I would have seen myself on TV, like, mm-hmm. as Glimmer. She has the same body that I had in my tweens, early teens, like, around her age. Like, that pear-shaped body that, I mean, let's be honest, like, you didn't really never see a character like that. No. Not on TV, not in movies, nowhere. And also her haircut is amazing, and that's the hair that I always dreamed of having. But the other part of her, too, is I just really like how driven she is to be of use. Right? Mm -hmm. And she wants to both be accepted by her mother, but at the same time she's rebelling against her mother. And that is so true for someone her age it's such a real experience of like i love you i love you i love you but let me go do my thing and the way that it comes together at the end of the series is so well done because she has her moment and she has the moment of understanding with her mom that you know she is an independent person and that she is growing up and she's not just her mother's child but she's also her father's child so she if and when toys do come out (laughs) because i haven't seen them yet and maybe i'm just behind but i totally want like a little glimmer mm-hmm. toy to just have or even to like I can't want to like hand them out to young <laughs> girls like on the street like <laughs> have you seen this show <laughs> proselytizing <laughs> Sarah was there someone that you particularly I was also very drawn to glimmer for a lot of similar reasons to what you were saying I really like that she has issues with her confidence without it being pushed too hard. She is very capable, but she's also got this very understandable concern about her mom seeing her as as capable and that any screw-up on her part, anything that goes wrong is going to be seen as a reason why she shouldn't be let out of her mother's sight. Mm-hmm. I also like her little tiny back wings. I haven't figured out yet if they're intended to be, like, tattoos or if they're tiny vestigial wings for being her mother's daughter. Could go either way. I was going to say, an additional shout-out to Glimmer. 
is on your point about how she's sticking up for herself and she's not always confident with herself. She's never whiny or overly precocious. She never suffers from what I call Ariel syndrome, which is, I'm 16 years old. I'm not a child anymore. Like, she never gets to that. I mean, yes, some people do behave like Ariel. (laughs) But I did think that it was a credit to her character to see it handled in a different way. And design-wise... Design-wise, I like quite a few of them, but I do have to mention Baby Catra, I cannot even. (laughs) Good God, she's so cute. Yes. Catra in general has a really good upgrade on her design, in my opinion. Oh my goodness. From from sexy, whiny, whatever. Catra and the prom episode. Oh my God, wearing the tuxedo. Amazing. Yeah, there's definitely yeah. some undercurrents that I think will be explored in future seasons. <laughs> I did really like that a lot, that Scorpio was the one in the gown and that Catra was the one in the tuxedo, because usually they would have switched it, because a big, muscular person should be in tuxedo. To the shock of no one, there is fan art. Oh lord, is there fan art. <laughs> oh, I bet. Irene, what about you? Thank you. <laughs> I am dying to talk about my personal favorite character. Bo. No. <laughs> um, I do love him. Who went from a useless guy with a weird mustache from the original series into, I would argue, the most competent member of the team. Yeah, which no. would be bad as him being the only male, except that nobody ever listens to him. So it doesn't matter that he's the most competent. <laughs> he is, in fact, the token male. It's um, for the most of it. He's very logical and straightforward and nobody ever wants to listen you know he's surrounded by these i mean mostly two very headstrong women right in glimmer and adora who just wants to magic their way out of everything and he's kind of always talking to them about their magic privilege yeah you have totally blown my mind erin because that scenario that you just talked about with him being the more level-headed and ignored and then the two crazy other characters who were running off and doing things. You see yes. that all the time as a trope in popular culture, but what's the difference, ladies? Right. Usually, Gender swap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You usually have crazy dudes and then the loving wife who sits there sighing and shaking her head and being the voice of reason. But Bo gets to be the voice of reason, even if his midriff is bared the entire time. <laughs> he does uh, talk about how cold it is, though. Yeah. And he wants to go get his cummerbund. But he also <laughs> does get to be fun. Yes. yes. And he can be very empathetic as well. Well, he's, he's extremely not... loving. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. He just wants yeah. everybody to he's still blow their role. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. He is the one concerned about sword safety, which is a valid yes. concern when someone's throwing their sword into the wall. But he's also the one who is horrified to learn that the Fright Zone does not have any birthdays. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. He's, a, he's a sensitive guy, for yeah. sure. But he's also just pretty practical um, as somebody who also doesn't have magic at his disposal. There are a couple of other characters I really like. It, I would be remiss not to mention Mermista. Yes. She's becoming my husband's favorite simply because of her delivery. This is um, so she's, she's kind of my favorite because of who she's voiced by. I'm a huge Crazy Ex-Girlfriend fan. Mm. And she pretty much is Heather from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend if she was a mermaid princess. Yes. <laughs> and then I also really like Entrapta. <laughs> oh, yes. 
She's my other favorite. I find her. Yeah, a, I can see that. <laughs> I find her a little challenging with her voice. Oh, her her little like nerdy. Yeah. Because nice. one minute I love Sparkle. it, and then the next sounds almost too old for her. Because I know mm. that they're supposed to be young. The voice acting on this show. I love when Bo's voice breaks. That's my favorite thing, is when his voice breaks. And he does, like, that high-pitched little squeak. (laughs) But yes, I think the voice acting is about ten times at least better than the original, which had a lot of, you know, the way that 80s cartoons did a lot of the same people doing voices. voices. And a very weird idea about what magical creatures and the like would sound like, usually... Mm -hmm incredibly annoying. Um, <laughs> this is a lot less annoying. Best voice actor, I think, my favorite might be Seahawk. Yeah. Um, he cracks me up. I like Seahawk. We should talk about Seahawk because he is so different than he is in the original series, right? So in the original series, he's... Well, actually, I think he's like a love interest for Shira, right? He is. He's Adora's love interest and there's a triangle with Catra who wants to... What? Yes. Who wants to seduce him, but never manages to do it. It's probably her voice. (laughs) The original series. (laughs) Then if anyone is not familiar with the original series, and you want to, for whatever reason, torture yourself, please go and listen. It's on Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) To how she meows and snarls in every single line that is delivered. See, they should have just gotten Eartha Kit to do her voice. <laughs> that would have been nice. I think it is probably like they... a terrible Eartha Kit impersonation <laughs> is what she's going for. But, okay. So what is Seahawk like? Han Solo. <laughs> this is my time to shine. Well, when you first meet him, it's in a dank, dusty bar, mm-hmm. like Moe Sizely. He's talking to someone else, has his feet up on the table, the whole thing. But my favorite is the line. I once ran the 50-click Galebreath gauntlet in less than 20 clicks. Yeah. It's the same as <laughs> the Kessel Run, especially because he says he ran it in less than a length space instead of a length of time, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, like, my favorite thing. And then the what makes you think you can afford me line, which I was like, oh, oh, that was sweet. That was a really cute little shout out. But there's also the parallel in that he has a strong princess who can't stand him, but loves him, (laughs) and is always saving his butt. Oh yeah, no, and he's definitely an homage. (laughs) And then Bo does fangirl over his mustache. It is a beautiful mustache, especially compared to the old Bo's mustache, which was not good. I am really impressed at how well they redesigned so many of those characters. Bo mm-hmm. is a great example of when you look at the original Bo and the current Bo. Right, because you kept the midriff bearing top. Yep, and the yes. hearts. And, yep. the hearts. and the hearts. Lots of hearts. Somehow made him not look silly. At the risk of fangirling, I... As soon as I saw the character designs for the show, I was like, and I'm sold. I think the first picture I ever saw was She-Ra, and she's Adora as She-Ra, 
And you can see that she has like little tiny like marks, like drawn muscles on her arms. Her arms look strong and real, Mm -hmm. like she is a force to be reckoned with. And that's when I knew this shit was going to be different. (laughs) I was very excited. Instead of a tiny little stick that you're like, how did you swing that sword? Right, right. breaking your arm. She's not going to be like a Jessica Jones type, right? Where Mm -hmm. she's just strong because she is powered by something. It's always like, it's okay to give them without hulking them out mm-hmm. yeah so that's the moment I knew I was like I'm gonna be watching this series so hard these two eyeballs <laughs> just <laughs> <laughs> let's talk a little bit more about representation in this show we talked briefly about Katra in her tux mm-hmm. yes but let's talk about the original show and now this show so Erin <laughs> as my expert let's talk a little bit about the original man well and shira in particular has really been even before this show was something that was embraced by the gay community and if you read interviews with people who worked in filmation at the time they've talked about the fact that actually it was a pretty safe space in and of itself there were people who identified as queer working on the shows and i think it later became important to folks partly because of that and partly because the aesthetic certainly mm-hmm. tends towards a flamboyance can we talk about <laughs> he-man's outfit <laughs> <laughs> that that can be empowering for folks when they're you know looking for something that represented themselves what the new show does is just make everything explicit instead mm-hmm. of implicit right and so mm-hmm. you have characters who are overtly in same-sex relationships with mm-hmm. Natasha and Spinarella. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk about those names in a bit. <laughs> yes. um, and then less implicitly, you know, is Adora and Captor's relationship is really complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, there's maybe a romantic aspect, but it's not necessarily it's deeper yeah. than that because they've lived their whole lives together. The portrayal that Captor feels about Adora is so much worse than if it was a romantic relationship Mm -hmm. right i think as it goes on you'll see other sorts of relationships and ways of people being together glimmer and beau are not romantically involved but there's still Mm -hmm. jealousy Mm -hmm. and then of course there's some great racial inclusivity as well the cast is Mm -hmm. really diverse Mm -hmm. not just the way they're drawn but the actual voice actors and it's great to see that you can actually you know Include people as part of something and not make it tokenism. It's not like mm-hmm. there's any kind of big deal made out about it. It's just, this is who these people are. Right. And it's very refreshing because these are just what people are like. I feel like a lot of times when there's a character who identifies as queer, they have to make that such a part of who they are and their yeah. personality that that's all they are. Mm-hmm. So in this, it was just great to not address it is almost more freeing in a lot of ways because it could also be that they're also exploring what it is for them. Right. right? They're still teenagers. Yes. Exactly. So Catro goes to the prom in a tux because she looks great in a tux. Dang straight. Right? It doesn't necessarily mean anything. Right. Other than she wanted to wear a tux. She and was the it's plus okay one for a princess. Come on. She had to wear the tux. Well, <laughs> or they both could have gone in dresses sure. or, you know what I mean? And there are characters in the background of that scene where that's very clear that there are two princesses together yeah. and they're both in their backgrounds. Yep. Yeah, so I think they did a really nice job. But, but I think the subtlety is much more natural, right? Mm-hmm. This is just how the world is and it's made up of lots of different kinds of people. Right. 
And also comparing like the two, you only have two blonde-haired, blue-eyed people, which is great because usually it's full of blonde-haired, blue-eyed people. But you have Adora and then you have Perfuma. Perfuma spent time outdoors. She's tan. Adora's mm-hmm. been in the fright zone. She's pale <laughs> as I am. <laughs> and it's fantastic. Because <laughs> usually you have like that porcelain skin and... She's outside. She's tan. You're like, she lives in the woods. Come on. Yeah, exactly. But compared to the Freight Zone, where she's just been indoors most of her life, mm-hmm. you get that lovely computer tan. <laughs> <laughs> so we've mentioned a little bit about the names of the characters. We've named them a couple times while we were discussing. So we've talked about Shira, Catra, Perfuma, Entrapta, Mermista. <laughs> Scorpia. 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 Natasa. Yeah, Spinderella. <laughs> I am so tickled that they kept the original names of the characters <laughs> because they are the best worst I've ever heard in my life. It's like up there with some of the DC naming conventions, Batman and Man Bat. Like, we already have Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and Man Bat is great because he really tells you like on the tin what he is. Right. Which I feel like is true of most of the Shira characters as well, right? right? Like, you know what they do. Exactly. Based on who they are. Yeah. Right. So it's no surprise when you discover that Natasha's power is that she can toss a net. <laughs> and I was so thrilled that she even called that out in the show. I thought that was really charming. All you do is nets. That's my thing. That's my thing. So for fun, ladies, I thought that we would play a little game today while we're doing the podcast, and we're going to call it Name That She-Ra Character. (laughs) So I only have five. Okay. So this will be pretty easy, hopefully, but I know that you guys are so creative that you're going to be able to come up with great names. So what I did is I created these fake She-Ra characters, and using the (laughs) She-Ra conventions, I want you guys to come up with names. So I kept my example from when I was first thinking about this, which is, okay, she's a princess, and she has a spear and green hair. So what would her name be? And I said it would be Spiramentina. <laughs> so there's no prize other than supreme bragging rights and the opportunity to crack ourselves up, but feel free to chime in when you're ready. So my first princess flies an airship and has a sword. What would her name be? Sharp Burga. <laughs> No shout outs to like blimps. That's Berg. Hindenburg. Oh, Hindenburg. <laughs> Savannah, the problem is that's actually a little too clever. For right. You oh, have to get oh, really, yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, it's dumb and dumb and dumb for, yeah, and yeah. you would be like balloon papa. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's a blimp, oh, but also a sword. Anyway. Okay. So my next one, I actually did come up with a name for it while I was doing it. So you're going to get bonus points if anyone comes up with a name that I had come up with, but I think you probably already seen it. Okay, so princess number two can do magic, but only when dancing. What would her name be? What would you name her? What would She-Ra writers <laughs> name her? No one? 
Are you I mean, laughing because you know what my answer? I can't remember. I can't, I can't remember I saw either. It, but I mean, so you're obviously have Dancerella. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I had Twirlerina. Pirouella. <laughs> 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 Oh, <gasps> yeah. Yes. 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 That's good. I like that. I like that a lot. Okay, this one is hard. Princess number three. As a shout out to Catra, who is kind of like cat and girl. I have this princess is part marmoset. Well, if we go with how they name Catra much and Scorpio. I know, yeah. I just yeah. want you to say it though. Marmosetta. <laughs> Marmosetia. Marmosetia. Like she's a poinsettia, I guess. Marmosetra. Mar. Marmosetine. Or just Marmota. Marmista. I actually thought about Marmista. Which is terrible. That means it's good. That, means, that might be the winner. Also, I cannot even imagine what a Marmoset princess would look like. Horrible. Mm. Or adorable. Very fuzzy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, princess number four has stone armor and can create earthquakes. I mean, it's Terra. You you just recreated, you literally recreated Terra. I did, but I was hoping if I had Terra. Terra might even be too complicated. It's still too clever. Quaker. Simple. Trema. Ooh. Avalanchia. (gasps) (laughs) Again, probably too fancy. (laughs) Savannah's too smart for this game. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The last one is a princess who likes to set things on fire. Pyra. I mean, yeah. Pyra. Pyromania. (laughs) Again, while it might be too clever, I go, yeah, like, Fyra isn't really... I don't know. I can see them doing Fyra. (laughs) Flama. Maybe I'm hot, man. (laughs) Oh, man. Now we're getting into Avatar references. Actually, you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. In fact, I'm okay ending this with an avatar <laughs> reference. So ladies, as always, it was a pleasure. And for any of you who have not watched the show yet, even though we've probably spoiled you on a bunch of things, if you haven't, it's available on Netflix right now. So thanks for joining us. Good night. Hi everyone, Valerie here. And on behalf of all of the ladies of Kamikaze, we'd like to thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard and you're interested in checking out more of our content, you can visit us online at ladiesofkamikaze.com. There you can read our blog, sign up for our newsletter, and if you're in the Boston area, learn how you can join us for our various events, including LadiesCon. Oh, and don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platform. Thanks again, and hope you join us next time.